I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying this deep dive into the book of James. Uh, These challenges that are coming week by week, these loving challenges. And remember, as we go back right to the beginning, that actually James says, beloved ones. And I want to just put that at the start of everything that we look at today, that we're loved today. And that any challenge within this passage, and it is challenging, comes from that love, beloved ones. And as you may know, or maybe you've just joined us, but James is talking to this messianic community, and there's trouble in the community. There's trouble in the land. There's infighting. There's selfish ambition. There's people teaching, and their lives don't match up. And all of this is going on, so into that, James is speaking. And also, as Sarah reminded us right at the beginning of this series, James was Jesus's brother, So if anyone hung out with him, if anyone knows what he sounds like, what he looks like, how he behaved, it was James. And as we come to these few verses, we live in a world that has perhaps put wisdom and knowledge into a very different box. We are a Google generation. I want you to think, what's the last thing you Googled? What is the last thing you Googled? It might have been how to make a souffle rise. It might have been how to mend a tire. It might have been, yes, some of you are thinking about it. Anyone want to share any of those things? Mine was what is wisdom yesterday, (laughs) but it didn't help me very much, to be honest. But we are a Google generation, aren't we? And we're a generation that um, these statistics are a little bit old, but they're challenging. 90% of the entire world's data was produced in the last two years. And another thing that I read, the average eight-year-old now has access to more information and data than all of the intellectuals and experts of the whole of the last century combined. Now, whether they're perfect or not in terms of their, their numbers, we know that that's true. We have everything quick, don't we? And yet what James is talking about is the slow and beautiful work of the wisdom of Jesus. It's not quick, it's not on a button, it's not we suddenly Google it and we know. And interestingly, a century ago, Henry David Thoreau said he had improved means to unimproved ends, which is interesting, isn't it? That actually even a century ago, people saw that things were improving, but they weren't that actually we had improved means, but the results were not good. Um, I wanted to read this mock email. It'll come up on the screen. It might not be easy for you to read, but I will, uh, I'll read it for us. But I, I found this in Warren Weirdsby's book on wisdom. And all that uh, James is doing in this passage is he's juxtaposing the wisdom from earth, or the wisdom from below, as he calls it, and the wisdom from above. And he's saying they are radically different from one another. And this is a sort of tongue-in-cheek thing of recruitment organizers actually writing to Jesus about his choice of team. Okay, so if you think of a recruitment agency, this is what they say. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you've picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them now have taken our battery of tests. We've not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It is the staff's opinion that most 
most of your nominees are lacking in background, educational and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable, given to fits of temper. Andrew has no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings. One of the candidates, however, does show great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and your right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. Now, I, when I read that, I sort of thought, in a way, that encapsulates a little bit of what's going on here. The wisdom of Jesus defies the wisdom of the world. We are not defined by our capabilities, who we know, what we know. And when we think of wisdom, and this has been a real challenge to me, I'm loving this book, it's challenging me personally a lot, um, that actually as we read it, we might think of wisdom. Who's the wisest person you know? Just think about it. And often, if it's me, I think about the people who are really good with words or always seem to know the right thing to say. And that is true to a degree. That's one part of wisdom. But actually, what's going on here is quite a different kind of wisdom. It's relational. It's look at your relationships. We're taught, aren't we? Look at your bank balance if you want to see how, how wise you are. You know, look at how you're using your money. Look at how you're using your time. But actually, James is saying, look at your relationships because actually they're a display of wisdom. Shakespeare talked about the fact that actually the fool knows that he is not wise. A fool thinks himself wise, but a wise man knows himself to be a fool. We know that without the wisdom of Christ, we lack, don't we? In human terms, we do. Wisdom is making the shape of godliness in God's world, making the imprint of Jesus. And James says, wisdom is not so much heard as seen. And that's a challenge for us. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it not let them speak it. This goes back to chapter two as well. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And the word that James uses here is different from the word for integrity and moral uprightness. When he says good life, he means beautiful. The word he uses in the Greek is kalos, which means beautiful. Well, I don't know about you, but the most beautiful person I've ever known is Jesus. And as we spend time with him, he beautifies us. And James chooses that word deliberately because it's out of that fruit, out of that root growth that we looked at in chapter two, that we show it. And he's looking at this community and he's saying, don't just speak your wisdom, but actually show it. We heard brilliantly from Sarah Thompson last week about our words, about the spirit watching over those words, about the toothpaste that once they're out, we can't get them back in. And we're going to go on looking at that uh, in, the, in the days ahead as well. 
So what is this wisdom? Well, Spurgeon said it was the right use of knowledge. In other words, it's not just what we know, but how we apply it. And Jonathan Edwards said, we move from notional knowledge to spiritual wisdom in the same way we read that honey tastes sweet, but then you taste it on your tongue. That's if you like honey, that is. But you get the drift, that it's one thing to know about a taste, but when we taste this wisdom, it is life-changing. And he says, if you want to be wise, have humble relationships, a lack of selfish ambition. And in an age of entitlement, and we do, that's the air we breathe, isn't it? The age of entitlement says that wisdom is hierarchical. But actually, Jesus flips that and says no. That actually, the wisdom we have from Christ lacks that selfish ambition, that we know that it's gift. And I think when we look at some of perhaps our heroes who have fallen, even in the last year or so, some of the heroes whose books we've read or who have led us in leadership, and then we see them fall and we feel pain. We feel pain. Why? Because they breathe in the air of entitlement that somehow along the way, good, godly people got corrupted by selfish ambition and thought they were better, thought they were above the law. We've seen that in our politicians. We see that in leadership where people think, Somehow they're above it. And what James is saying, and this is massively challenging, he's saying you're above nobody. You're above nobody. We're above no one. There is no one that is less than you. And yet we breathe this air that says that somehow we are better. And that's how racism comes in. That's how homophobia comes in. That's how sexism comes in. Why? Because suddenly people think they are better. And and James sees this. He sees this in the community. He says, no. Wisdom is knowing that you're my brother, you're my sister, that we live together, that we dwell in unity together. And where we see it go wrong, we see so much of this chaos, is that actually when scrutiny comes, people have suddenly believed they were better than someone else. And James is saying, let's just do the quick, slow, slow, if we go back to chapter two, watching our tongue, watching our words, honouring others above ourselves. So how do we cultivate this wisdom? Because it's all very lofty to talk about it, and you might be thinking, well, it's all very well, Judy's saying, beautiful life. But what does that actually mean played out? Well, I've asked someone I wanted to interview about how they cultivate this wisdom, and it's someone I consider to be wise. Uh, So I'd like you to welcome my friend, uh, Nick Cuthbert up. Let's give him a welcome. (laughs) Have the green microphone. And... um, I asked Nick uh, to consider just being interviewed on this because he's someone that I see that has built this church, that started this church with others, but has stayed humble. Now, of course, as I say that, that's <laughs> difficult to say, but I see that in you, Nick. Um, how do you cultivate this, this wisdom uh, that well, we're looking at? Is this on? Yes. <clears throat> I mean, you are very fortunate to have the source of all wisdom. I am, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> to, to interview you. Well, they've heard a lot from me over this series, so I thought... I mean, there are, it seems to me there are um, two sorts of wisdom. There's what some people call natural wisdom that is, comes from the ages and from age. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the wisdom of the ages. We've, we've, we've learned through the ages, so we get the wisdom of past generations about lots of things. And there is the wisdom of age. That other cultures, I think, are better at it than we are. Mm. They, they revere and honour people who are older because they've lived a long time and therefore you assume they have spotted some things along the way. Actually, I read the other day 
that um, wisdom increases with age until you get to 75 and then it declines. Oh. <laughs> it's encouraging. I'm just, I'm just over 75, so I'm not sure this is a very dangerous interview. Right, well, Nick, thank you very much. <laughs> so all of that, I think, is just as life goes on, you yeah. watch them, you observe, and you see what's working, what isn't. And I think that there is a natural wisdom in, in people mm. and in all of us, and we can share that with each other. Um, and some will be more, um, observe more than others. But there's a supernatural wisdom from God. It's mm. interesting, isn't it, that Solomon, when he was given the choice of anything he wanted, chose wisdom, mm. as if that was going to give him the best thing he could have in life. And of course, he received that from God. And so we have the, we have the book of Proverbs, uh, which is a fantastic gift. And of course, we have the whole of the scriptures, which are um, uh, God's wisdom to us. And I would suspect that if you, we want to be wise, it's a good place to start is to become Bible people. Mm. and to know what the scripture says about anything on earth. But secondly, I think if we're going to get wisdom from God, I suspect that we need to know him better. Mm. And I think it's the people who walk closely with God through their prayer time, through um, re reading the scriptures, through just listening to God, who have a quiet sort of spirit that recognizes, I don't know it all, but I know there's a source of everything. It's like the internet is the source of all knowledge. God is the source of all wisdom. Mm -hmm. So it is a matter of saying, I just want to learn to tap into him all the time. Because in, in his gentle, humble way, he, he will give that to us. Um, there are dangers here, as you've already mentioned. I, I, think, I think this passage, for me, is one of the scariest passages in the Bible. Mm. Because what he reminds us is that your wisdom can have two different effects. And what we're looking for is that when we say something or share something with people, it comes with a sense of peace, of joy, of, of fulfillment. And yes, everybody agrees with it and it flows out. That's what we're looking for. But he's saying there's another in, in the kingdom of God and in the church. And the frightening thing is, I think what he's saying is... And this is, this is about cultivating wisdom, because it's actually saying you, you, need to sh you need to sort your heart out. And all of our hearts are mixed. And um, if there's any envy in you, that is you want something that somebody else has, or personal ambition, you're ambitious or something, you better not think that you're going to get any wisdom in that area. Let me give you an example, if I may. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking about this this morning. Some years ago, I was involved in a project in Birmingham, and... Um, I was very upset because I wanted to be involved. I wanted to be leading the project, and I was envious of the person they chose. I, I was quite upset about it, and I realised that I was then on a team of people organising it. And I thought to myself, I cannot be part of that team because I can't make any real decisions. Because every decision I make will be tempered by the fact that I feel envious, and therefore I will make. I will make. I'm a danger to this group of people. And at times in my own life, I've realised, even in the church life, I've been. There's a lot of me in it all, a lot of selfish mm. ambition. And I think, golly, I could, I could say things now uh, which could affect people's lives, but actually, at the back of it all, it's how is it going to affect me? How do I work out in this? Do I come out on top? That's very dangerous. Mm. And James is saying, if there's any inkling of selfish ambition or envy in your heart, um, the, the repercussions could even be demonic, which mm. is really scary. Mm. Um, I've noticed recently, in the last 10 years, I've been involved in a thing called Lead Academy, where friends and I have been helping churches all around the country, which you know a bit about. And the thing about that is, I, we've been, we go into churches and we talk to them and try and help them. But because I'm not envious of any one of them, I'm, I'm in admiration about every single one of them who are leading church, 
I don't have any personal ambition in their church. I feel really at peace that I could actually have some wisdom for them because it's not tainted. So I'm able to say to God, can you, can you say, tell me something that I can say to them? And, and often, it, God, often God doesn't just give it to you. You suddenly find yourself saying something and you think, that's rather good. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I wish I'd thought then of that. Then you have to repent. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I wish I'd thought of that. It just, it just flows from you. It, yeah. And all of us do that. We yeah. say things and we think, wow, yeah, that's right. That's what's rather good, you know. Um, and, and that's happened to me over and over again in these other churches because I know that I'm free of envy and selfish ambition. And so I, I'm free. But in other areas, as I said earlier, it's, it, it's nasty stuff and you've mm. got to be very, very careful. So it's a very strong warning to us. I think if we want to have wisdom, it's to search our hearts yeah. and make sure there's nothing of envy in us or am I, have I got a secret ambition in this thing? Mm. Um, and then we better be very careful what we say. So I think... We cultivate it in terms of our relationship with God and spending time with him and listening to him and just having that flow of God. But we also cultivate it, I think, by continually examining our own hearts. Because like Solomon, I think all of us would say the one thing we'd love to be in life is for people to look at us and say, wisdom flows out of us. Yeah. And people come to us for wisdom. Well, thank you for being one of those people for me. Thank okay, you. Okay, is that enough? That's enough. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you. So how do we cultivate this wisdom, brilliant wisdom there from Nick? Well, other ways that Nick didn't mention but is mentioned in the first chapter is suffering. You know, there's many of you here who are suffering intensely at the moment, but actually out of that comes the formation of wisdom if we throw ourselves onto Jesus. But actually in chapter one, he says, you will go through trials. And the very next verse, he says, but if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Ask for it. It is a gift that we can ask for. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously without finding fault. And I love that. Take comfort from that. Without finding fault. He doesn't just say, oh, actually, I will, I'll give wisdom to that person, but not that person, because they're not as good as that. He says, no, without finding fault, if you come to him, he will give you the gift of wisdom. And it comes to us, as, as Nick said, through believing prayer. And it comes to us through those revelations that Nick talked about, through his spirit. Uh, I've been doing a little course um, at the moment through Lent and be, be just before it uh, on listening to God because it's not something that I always have confidence in. And uh, it's been brilliant to be challenged on how do we hear God. And one of the things they talk about is the difference between the logos, the word that is written, the word that is Jesus, and the rema of his spirit that rereads the passage for us, that highlights the thing that you never saw before, the rema of the spirit and I was reading a psalm this week and we were taught on the course to read it once and then read it again the next day and the first day I read it it was talking about watching over my comings and goings and it was really reassuring and I felt that it was God just saying you'll be all right Judy I'm watching over you you've got this but then the very next day I read the same verse and it said he will watch over your comings and goings and there was a challenge in that that I was too busy that he was watching over my diary and I was getting on my hamster's wheel again 
again. Do you see now, it's just one example of how the same text with the rema of the Spirit brings different wisdom. Because this sort of wisdom, remember we're juxtaposing the earthly and the heavenly, heavenly wisdom is radically different. It's beautiful and we can ask for it and it comes from heaven. And the reason that we say it comes from heaven is because of Jesus. It's through him, through a relationship with Jesus, as Nick said. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 24, Paul says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then he goes on in verse 30 to say, it is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who became for us the very wisdom of God. But as we get to know Jesus, the wisdom that came down from heaven is so different. And James's listeners would know that he's talking about Jesus here. In John 1:14, we have, he is the living word. We hear that he is the word made flesh and come amongst us. He is this living word of wisdom. And as he lists, and James lists at the end of the passage, he lists the fact that this wisdom will change our relationships. How do we know? Because he says it's pure, that it's peace-loving, that's relational, that it's considerate, that's relational, full of mercy, good fruit, shaping our thoughts, our actions, our words impartial and sincere and so as we close James is drawing out a picture of what this beautiful life will look like and it looks like Jesus it sounds like him it's relatable to him and in Colossians 2 verse 3 we hear in Jesus Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus it's all in him. So if we have a challenge through this passage, and it is a challenging passage, as we've said, but it is an uplifting passage. How? Because when we go to the scriptures, when we look at the words of Jesus, we're changed by them. We are changed as we keep company with him, as we meet together tonight to pray, to praise and worship him. And we're going to have a time for healing tonight. We're going to have a time where we wait on him. We're going to have a time where we say, what are you saying to us as church? Where we are ask for the gift of wisdom. And I have loved the way that, that we've been led in recent weeks to come to, to Jesus and just say, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's wisdom, because it's just saying, we haven't got all the answers, but you have, Lord God. Submitting ourselves to him. We read in the Bible, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I wanted, as we close, to just remind us that that fear is not a, a horrible thing. It's not the sort of demonic fear that, that is not what it is. It's an awe. It's a wonder. But as we see how powerful Jesus is, as we see how he's changing us and transforming us, that's the beginning of wisdom. We're only just starting out in this, aren't we? We're at the edge of the water with it. But we're standing there saying the waves of the Spirit come over us, that he would bring this wisdom to us. And if you go back to the very beginning where we talked about what we can Google, where we looked at the data, where we said that all things are so quick for us, this slow, beautiful work of wisdom is at work in you if you're a follower of Jesus. It's in, at work in you now. And you get to be that wisdom for somebody else. You get to build someone up today, encourage someone today. That's godly wisdom. See something beautiful in them and build them up because that's the sort of wisdom that James is talking about here.